boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Binge Boys, it's the podcast you're currently listening to, where myself, Hal Rudnick, and Lon Harris talk about what's going on in streaming. Hoot hoot, everybody. Lon, how are you, pal? I'm pretty good. I hope people are listening to this in, like, one regular speed. You know, people, like, a lot of people listen to podcasts, like, twice as fast or 1.5 speed. Yeah, more content. Squeeze in more content. I hate that. I really don't like that. I don't want people to listen to us that way because it'll make our voices sound squeaky. My voice is high-pitched enough. My voice is a little raspy today. I don't need you to make me sound like, I, you know, I, I, I go high for emphasis a lot anyway. It's going to have a real Alvin and the Chipmunks effect. And here's my take on it. If you want to listen to us at two, even three times the speed, be our guest and cram in all the content you want. I'm not a purist. I would say, listen, do Adderall, and then it'll sound like we're going at three times speed, even though we're speaking normally. Compromise. No, if you're on Adderall, you're like, pick up the pace, pick up the pace. I got places to go to people. I'm going to clean my apartment. You're a whirlwind. All right. Well, I'm not not addicted to Adderall. I didn't realize you were going to just, I I don't know the effects of Adderall. I'm clean. I'm straight edge. You and I are going to get a little prescription this weekend and uh, have a little Addy party. Could try to get me hooked on Adderall? That's Addy daddy. That's a a terrible influence. This is, geez. It's a good thing we weren't friends growing up. That's what you signed up for, buddy, when you agreed to do this podcast. Who knows where I'd be today? Wow. This is no. We're, we're going to do a version. Our new listen. This is this will be our Patreon. We do the same show that Errol Morris's son does, where he goes and takes the drugs. What's that show for Vice? Ah, yeah, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. Yes, Hamilton's Pharmacopoeia. That, that's yeah. that's our that's our new Patreon. Wow, what a what a reference on that. We are the binge boys. How often are you going to throw out that kind of a reference? Yes, Vice TV's and somebody's Hamilton's pick it up. Pharmacopoeia yeah. uh, coming to us from the son of Errol Mars. Errol Mars. Well, how do you think Errol feels about his like his son being like, "Oh, do you want to do documentaries like me?" And he's like, "Sort of, if they involve getting fucking faded." <laughs> I'm just gonna go do ayahuasca and film myself is that that's like what you do and he's like well it's that exact do a little research and like what sorry too late uh, already I mean, on ayahuasca is, i don't that is some kind of fucking privilege to be the son of the the maybe arguably the greatest documentarian of all time and be like oh i've got a hall pass to get into uh creating stuff um, my thing is going to be getting wasted on every drug and that's a show yeah that's just like, hey, Vice, I'm just going to it's the most Vice show. Like it's if you were going to make fun of Vice TV, that would be the show is like white guy travels around the world doing one of everybody's kind of drugs like that's well, that's it. That's our show. It's like a Kroll show sketch. It's not even like a real. Yeah, it sounds like it's breaking the law. It sounds like there might be a little bit of cultural appropriation in there. I... <laughs> well, because you remember The Onion when they did their parody of Vice, that was the sketches. We went to the West Bank and tried to score drugs. Like that was that was how they made fun of uh, Vice. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, yeah. pretty spot on. Lon, what's in the news? Did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, Lon with the news. Nothing about Hamilton's pharmacopoeia. No Hamilton's pharmacopoeia stories today. Uh, I don't think do they still make that. He's he's got to be dead in a jungle somewhere by now. I don't think they're. Uh, I don't think they've made it for a few years. But uh, yeah, I feel like it, there's only so many times you can get that wasted. You just have to be like, I need I need a few seasons off. I gotta I gotta cleanse. Yeah, it's, or it's like, ooh, the finest hashish from like you know in <laughs> India or something, and then it's like, oh. I guess this episode, I got a huff paint. That's all that's left. Yeah, that's right. I'm just going to go to rehab all around the world and see everybody's, every continent's take. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that's the next season. I love that. Some might be a little harsher than others. How do they get you off drugs in the Ivory Coast? We're about to find out. Ooh, um, oh, 
Good luck and God bless. Uh, let's jump into some news. We already got the ticker sound effect. It's time. Netflix is producing a live-action Gundam film. You know the mobile, mobile suit. Oh, yeah, open, open Gundam style. No, that's, that's, it's Opa, Opa Gundam style. But oh, that's, oh, that's no, different. I'm, it's Jar Jar Binks, Gungans. That's Gungans. It's, you're very close. Gundam, they're the big flying robot. Yes. Fight mecha robots from Japanese anime culture, you yeah, know. I feel like I had a couple of those cool toys and or models. You probably had some, right. The they're, they're fighting, they're robots in the future war in this franchise. We use robots for fighting, but they have human, you know, pilots. They're like mecha. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Jordan Voigt-Roberts, who directed Kong Skull Island, he's going to direct this. It's going to be written by Brian K. Vaughn, who uh, wrote a lot of, you know, a lot of famous comic books. Why the Last Man is his. He worked on Lost as well. And it's going to uh, stream on Netflix around the world, except China, it's going to get a theatrical release. Um, do you know, speaking of Jordan Voigt-Roberts, have you heard about when he was living in Southeast Asia after making Kong Skull Island? Yes, where he got attacked. Yes. Uh, so um, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with this story, it's it's really, it's a devastating and fascinating tale about like him uh, living in Southeast Asia. I think it was Vietnam, but I, um, you know what, possibility I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, he was just living it up and it, like he was really enjoying life in this town and like dro- kind of dropping out and experiencing a different culture. And then he was in a bar one night and the story goes, I guess, that he got in trouble with the local mafia or something there and yeah. got um, a real good crack on the head, which hospitalized him for uh, some time. Uh, it, there was an article in like Esquire or something about it. That yeah, I he's, he's, he's talked about it. Yeah, worth, worth, worth checking out. It's a wild tale. Um, that's uh, that's uh, my take on Jordan. <laughs> that's what comes to mind there. Wow. I thought we would joke about uh, fighting robots, but it's taking, a, it's taking a dark turn, folks. Listen, I'm always up. Listen, I, I know. that. Uh, so, sorry to take us there. Let, let, let's <laughs> okay. pull up. Listen. Let's pull up. Um, if only he had a Gundam. Uh, Lon, uh, to defend him, <laughs> what's the difference between a Gundam and a Jaeger? Uh, the the uh, Jaegers, you need two pilots, and they have to drift. I believe oh, Gundam. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if you're control. And, and I'm sure angry anime fans right now are like sending us letters, but I don't believe you mentally, psychically link into your Gundam. I think you just. I think you literally pilot it. Right. Oh, and then between the two, uh, there's spoiler alert: Mecha Godzilla. What? Mecha Godzilla had the pilot uh, connected. Yes, he's also so like drifting. You know, like he's also mm-hmm. uh, mentally connecting to. He's controlling it uh, with his mind, psionically. Sometimes I'm talking to someone and just start drifting. But that's just a different thing where my mind just goes elsewhere and I lose my train of thought. Yeah. It's a little different. You would you would not maybe not want to be piloting a mecha if you have trouble focusing. No, you don't want some absent-minded doofus. <laughs> Favorite Jerry Lewis movie, the absent-minded mecha pilot. Why? Oh, oh boy, I just crushed an apartment building and killed 300 people. So sorry to stop you with my giant robots. Lady, I'm a big robot. <laughs> Stupid bit. That's terrible. And then Dean Martin comes out. He's like, hey, buddy, come on. Uh, Anybody want to get out of this wet Gundam and into a dry martini? That's what I'm talking about. A doodle deedle do. I'm drunk. <laughs> You know what? We we try really hard to reach the kids. That's why we were <laughs> like, what if we take this Japanese franchise from the eighties and mix it back up with Lewin and Martin Lewis and Martin yes. classics? <laughs> Our classic rat pat era expression. Let's move on. Yes, please. Hugh Laurie, you remember him, TV's house? He He's going to write and direct a version of the Agatha Christie story, Why Don't They Ask Evans? This is about two in the 30s, two friends from, you know, society, a socialite and her gentleman friend. They are golfing. They're looking for a missing golf ball and they stumble upon a dying man. Oh, my goodness. And they decide to solve the mystery themselves. Oh, 
Sure. There you go. Uh, we don't know if, if he's going to – He's Hugh Laurie is writing the script right now. We don't know if he's going to appear maybe. It's a, it's a maybe. I mean if Hugh Laurie isn't in it, it's like – Well, on. he's writing and directing. It's a lot, it's a lot to do. Uh, it, this is coming to BritBox. Oh, mm-hmm. my mom loves – my mom loves some Brit box. She loves the Midsummer Murders. She loves. Uh, let me ask you this, Lon. Speaking of Agatha Christie, mm-hmm. who would you say is the better sleuth, Hercule Poirot or Ms. Marple? I'm always. Uh, I'm more of a uh, Poirot fan, just because as a character, I feel like he's more interesting. Like Ms. Marple is. It's so gimmicky. It's like she's this. You know kindly old lady who it's a very it's very like murder she wrote but i prefer the murder she wrote take on it yes um whereas uh hercule poirot is a really i think an interesting fun quirky character who sort of grows on you over time and especially uh the classic british poirot adaptations with david suchet uh uh, that's my that's my take on the character since childhood. My grandmother used to love the David Suchet Poirot. So I, I, I did not like the most recent uh, Murder on the Orient Express. I just the Kenny Branagh, the Branagh version. Yes, yeah, I just found it to be a, a bit of a snooze, quite frankly. I mean, I I liked it, but I it, it's it's one of those things where I've been watching David Suchet play this character since mm-hmm. literally I was a child. It would be like Columbo. Like, you could do a new Columbo series and I might enjoy it, but Peter Falk is just always going to be Columbo for me. Oh, yeah. There's no uh, there's no chance anybody else would ever redo it. So I, I feel like Brana's kind of at that disadvantage where it's like, well, I'm never going to really think of you as this character. You went really, like hardcore trolling and went sort of like DC fan when you weren't you didn't you start a hashtag a few years ago when Murder on the Orient Express came out not my Poirot restore the Poirot verse yes hashtag not my Poirot I would never do that you know um and weren't like weren't (laughs) you being introduced weren't you being introduced at the Schmodown as the Suchet Stan yeah Long also hours. great as the villain in Executive Decision. That's uh, that's another interesting role. Oh, the Harrison Ford movie. Yeah, he he both played David Schipp both played a Belgian detective for many years on British TV, and then a Middle Eastern terrorist in Executive Decision. That's range. That is range, my friend. That is range. <laughs> uh, okay, he's got the goods. Moving on, you got the goods. Uh, Zack yeah. Snyder. We watched the trailer. Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, his big Netflix project. It got its first full trailer. It is about a team. They are pulling a two hundred million dollar heist on the Las Vegas Strip during an outbreak of zombieism or zombism. Although we should note, these are not conventional Romero film zombies. They're intelligent, they're sentient, they're, they're capable of forming a zombie community of sorts. They can communicate, they can change a tire, they can host a podcast. Right. So like, I guess later Romero movies sort of developed that idea of, oh, I am legend, I guess you've got more intelligent zombies. So we're talking about those kind of zombies. Uh, also notable about this trailer, it features Tig Notaro in a badass yes. supporting role. She's getting a lot of attention for her cool mercenary look she was added after the movie was completely shot that role was shot with chris delia and then we all recall don't want to necessarily have chris delia in your new movie they that's a delia breaker that's a delia (laughs) no delia uh so they shot Tig in that role entirely against the green screen. She never interacted on camera with the rest of the cast. And then they digitally inserted her into the movie. Amazing. Modern movie making. So every shot you see in that trailer with Tig Notaro, she was not there on set. They dropped her in there on set. That was Chris Delia, probably texting a 14 year old the moment they stopped. shooting. <laughs> you know, they, I heard before they settled on Tig, who's Tig is so, so funny and a uh, really uh, great comedian. But um, before Tig, they they wanted Christopher Plummer, but then he passed away. Christopher Plummer was going to, like, he's the go-to replacement guy. He did Spacey. I think every comedian should get one day to play Tig's role in oh, this Oh, so sort of like that Bob Dylan movie from uh, I'm Not Really, what is it called? It's called uh, I'm Not 
here. I'm not here. I get that but, uh, confused with the Joaquin Phoenix. Or um, I'm not there. Monument. Maybe yeah. I'm not there. Um, but no, that's because that's what Tate does with her Twitter. You know, every day a different comedian takes over Tig's Twitter account. No. Oh, no, I did not know that. I actually did not know that. Oh, so you and I talked about, uh, what's the name of it? Army of the Dead? It's called Dead? Army of the Dead. That's the Now, this is the movie, but it's already going to be a franchise because he's already planning a prequel a prequel movie and a anime series that would take place before the events of the the movie. So right. it's it's like a it's a it's a whole it's a new project. Two quick things on. Uh, so you and I talked about this a little while back, and we were saying why would someone uh, stage a big heist to get money if we're during a zombie apocalypse? And I'm like, I'm sold. I'm sold. It's it seems like this is a centralized zombie event. That's happening. Right. In- well, that but that opens up a whole bunch of new problems, does it not? They don't even seem in the trailer like they know. They they get to Vegas and they're like, "Oh, zombies are here. We were not prepared for yeah, this." Yeah. So it seems like-, like this was conceived. This this idea was conceived before they knew that zombies were even there. So the heist makes sense. You were saying, "Oh, right." But, we're but in- take a take another moment, if you will, to mull over the scenario as presented. So we're talking about an America where there is still civilization. Yes. Money has value. Dave Batista's working as a line cook or something. Like, it's, it's, there's a society. But somehow, Las Vegas is walled off and the entire strip is just filled with tens of thousands of zombies. Mm-hmm. And no one knows about this? How are you keeping that a secret? That's a good question. People don't go like, hey, you know what would be fun this weekend? Let's go to Vegas. Ah, zombies. That's never happened? You know, I, I, I'm going to trust the film. I'm implicitly, <laughs> I'm implicitly trusting the film not to leave that little bugaboo. I mean, look, I haven't seen it. If there's one thing I can say after watching the Snyder Cut, it's that Zack Snyder does not mind having characters stand around explaining what's happening in his movies. So presumably there will be some explanation for how this is possible. Yes. I'm pushing all my chips into the table for that. I'm just saying it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, right. Stupid. (laughs) (laughs) It's just, it's stupid. But I do, there's one thing I really like. There's one thing I will say I really like. Yes. Zombie movies, they always take the cheat that animals are immune, so we don't have to deal with zombie animals. Right. I love that Snyder's not only rejecting that as a concept, but diving right the other way in the trailer. Zombie tiger, suck it. I love that. That's a great moment. I like that, that look wicked cool. It looks cool. It's something I haven't seen a million times before. That's enough right there to be like, all right, Dave Batista fighting a zombie tiger. You got me, you bastard. Alon, uh, you're. Um, I've said this before, and I and I say it because I, I'm and I I mean it that you uh, are have one of the uh, um, the most uh, intelligent minds when it comes to knowing streaming and what's going on in streaming. Oh, but you're you very made kind. a you made a a big blunder just Whoa. now, and I just what's wanted that. To, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I take pleasure in correcting you, but I'm not saying I don't. When you introduced Zack Snyder, you didn't say Zack Snyder coming off his major triumph of Zack Snyder's justice. League. <laughs> you're, you're right. You're right. You're right. I should have Zack Snyder proven right. Finally vindicated a moment of silence in, in his, in his honor. And then we can proceed to talk about the zombie heist yes. Vegas movie. Thank you. Thank you for correcting that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, but otherwise uh, this, wow. And how many, uh, pr- how many sequels are on the docket for this franchise? Well, no, no sequels, two prequels. We've got oh, a prequels. prequel. Gotcha. We've got a prequel film that I believe is going to cover the Dave Batista character prior to the events of the film. Mm-hmm. And then we've got an anime series oh. that is also... I don't know what the deal is with the anime series, but that's also going to be set before. I feel like that might be the zombie origin story. Like, how did Vegas get filled with zombies? We're going to have to cover that at some point. I like the sound of an anime zombie uh, show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're going to do that. All right. So, yeah, the Army of the Dead, the trailer is out now. That's going to arrive in May. Very nice. Uh, 
Benedict Cumberbatch. Wow, yeah. He's going to star in a series based on the 1915 novel. That's an old novel. Mm -hmm. The 39 Steps. But you may recall it's a famous novel because in 1935, Alfred Hitchcock turned it into a movie. So it's also a classic black and white Hitchcock film from his early period. Uh, it is about Cumberbatch is going to star as an ordinary guy finds himself at the center of a vast and complicated global conspiracy. That old so, Hitchcock uh, it, saw. I mean, I would think that they'd modernize it. Yeah, or? Uh, I don't actually know. We, we know hmm, it's coming to not. Netflix. I don't know if it's going to be a mod. I mean, I, I'm presuming that you probably could do. I doubt it's going to be set at in 1915. Looking it up here? My guess would be that they would move it up because that's kind of a random historical moment to set a show. Was it covering the uh, the murder of Archduke Franz Ferdinand? <laughs> yes, that's what it's about. The, no, it's a, 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 a fictional vast global conspiracy, not a real vast global conspiracy. Oh, gotcha. Uh, but it's going, it's reteaming Cumberbatch with uh, Edward Berger, who he worked with on Patrick Melrose. I'm not sure if you watched that. Oh, yeah, that. I enjoyed Patrick Melrose. Showtime. Sorry, so this is the same, same, uh, same director as Patrick Melrose and the guy who wrote The Revenant is writing the script. Oh, boy. I mean, if uh, if they can have another bear fight and then sleep inside of a horse. I mean, any kind of crazy animal antics like that would be fun. <laughs> I don't think he fights a bear. Well, maybe they can add that. Too bad. All right, last news story. Let's wrap this up. Uh, Kevin James, he's going to play uh, New Orleans Saints head coach Sean Payton. <laughs> Uh, in the new Netflix film, Home Team, this comes from Sandler's company, Happy Madison, mm -hmm. part of Sandler's overall Netflix deal. So it's going to be about, it follows Sean Payton during the year he spent on suspension from the NFL after the Bounty Gate scandal, which I had to look up. I was not familiar with the Bounty Gate scandal. Oh, yeah. uh, Basically, the New Orleans Saints, uh, they were giving players, they were paying bonuses to players who injured members of the opposing teams that they were facing. Yeah, you blow a guy's knee out in the second quarter, bam, that's $1,000 in the locker room. So <laughs> so Peyton got, they got found out, Peyton was suspended for a year, and uh, during that time away, he served as offensive coordinator for his son's sixth grade football team, and like, rediscovered his love and passion for the fucking game, or I don't know, fill in. I mean, okay, here's what's, like, gets me right off the bat. Sean Payton seems like such a serious guy. He's like a, I mean, he can be a little lighthearted maybe in an interview, but, like, he's a no-nonsense football coach. I guess Ke Kevin James could play it, but, like... Yeah, I feel like this is definitely going to be Kevin James kind of stepping away from the King of Queens oafish persona like he did when he was playing the uh that neo-nazi what was that movie right i don't remember i'm gonna look that up i like that you asked me before we went on uh, the show and i was like oh i don't remember the name but yeah you're right and then you asked me again you gave me the prompt again like that what was that neo-nazi like i already i don't know kevin james neo-nazi it says kevin james is not a neo-nazi no i'm just kidding uh oh, good becky becky was the name right of that, there you go where he's, right. he's he's bald he's got a big old swastika on his head yeah. Looks scary. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be less the broad comedy of Kevin James in Paul Blart and more the serious focus of Kevin James in Paul Blart 2. That would be my guess. Ah, see, I thought uh, Kevin James plays uh, a neo-Nazi who's home for several months because he's suspended from work because he stormed the Capitol. <laughs> And then he teaches yeah. his kids to take bounties out on the other kids. I, you're you're joking, but I think it touches on a real thing, which is: does this sound oddly lighthearted, considering what he was in trouble for? Like, I didn't. Once I read about it, I remembered vaguely when this this scandal happened. Mm -hmm. The word bounty gate didn't mean anything to me, but that's a that's like a dark thing to be accused of. Like, I wonder if he's going to you know have any moments of like introspection where he's like, I ended a man's career because I told our defensive backs to dive at the legs. I mean, football injuries, like, these, these could be very, see, they could be life Football is no joke. Fucking yeah. CTE. Like, we, there are guys where they get hit, they get knocked around the wrong way on the football field, and then they're like double murderers. Like, this is real shit. This is, you can't mess around. I mean, people have become paraplegics. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, like, to treat it like usually in these kinds of movies where it's like coach gets in trouble and now he's got to go teach teach a bunch of girls to play peewee soccer. It's usually like 
the worst of it would be like a DUI. Like that's that's Mighty Ducks. Is Gordon Bombay gets a DUI and he's got to coach Pee Wee Hockey? What about Rodney Dangerfield when he had to coach that soccer team with Jonathan Brandeis in Ladybugs? R.I.P. Jonathan Brandeis and Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, yes. Don't leave Rodney out. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.I.P. to both of them. But uh, but right, that's what I mean. Or it's like they're yell they yell too. But like that's John Stamos has that new Disney Plus show where he's like oh, yeah. he was an NCAA coach, but he yelled too much, and now he has to go to high school. But it's not like taking out bounties on the like, kill that guy and I'll pay you a grand. Like that's sinister. I don't know if you deserve a Kevin James movie, even if you did take a year off to like rethink. Like, you needed a kid to teach you not to take bounties out on other football players? Maybe he got his karmic comeuppance because Sean Payton did get COVID last year. Does he get, if the movie ends with, like, him getting straight-armed, all right. Yeah, there you go. So that's my thoughts without having seen it or read a script or learning anything about it. That's why I hate the new film Home Team, everybody. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Maybe it'll be great. Listen, I'll, I'll give it a chance. Who knows? Uh, we'll see. Kevin James will be goofing it's... around. He'll be blarting around. Uh, oh, before we uh, jump into a talk about the shows we watch, Lon, I just wanted to ask you a question. A lot of people in Los Angeles and around the country are talking about the Arclight Cinemas closing. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, Pacific theaters. And who knows, maybe uh, someone, Netflix or whatever, will come in and sweep up Arclight. Well, I would also say there's a lot of talk that I've heard, including from some people I feel like who get how this stuff works and get the, the scene in, in L.A., uh, this may be a negotiating tactic because what happened is we've got we've got this long period where these theaters have been closed mm-hmm. and a lot of these properties are leased. So Pacific is leasing the Grove Theater, the Americana, some of these bigger L.A. theaters that are in notable locations. Yes. So the property owners are now going to Pacific and they're like, great, we're delighted that you're reopening. Here is the back rent that you owe us for when you were closed. And the theaters are saying, well, we can't afford that if you charge us that, we'll just go bankrupt and you'll have to find new tenants. So it's a, it's kind of a who's going to blink first game of chicken where they're hoping to get a better deal from the property managers and the property managers are holding out to make it look like, well, we'll just go lease these properties to another company. And it's really just we're waiting to see how it's going to play out. So I think that's probably most likely. So maybe we're looking at all of these places closely. The other thing to bear in mind is they can, like, they don't need to use the Cinerama Dome as a movie theater, mm-hmm. but they can't tear down the Cinerama Dome because it's an L.A. landmark. So, Oh, yeah, I'd say turn it into a medieval times. So, right, you, the, like somebody else could come <laughs> in, they could get rid of the Arclight Hollywood and put something else there, mm-hmm. but they can't tear down the dome even if they stop showing movies there. But I feel like somebody would at least come and buy that. Like, imagine, like, Apple's dome complex, and that's where they screen. I don't all. want to imagine Apple's dome complex. But I'm saying, like, I somebody like an Amazon or a Disney uh, or an Apple yes, buying that yes. property makes a ton of sense if it doesn't end up staying with Pacific. The Tubi Dome. Right. But no, exactly. I mean, the more that these companies have the this amount of content that they're churning out right. and these platforms that need constant new eyeballs and attention, you can see how it would make total sense for Viacom to buy this. And yep. whenever they've got a new Paramount Plus thing to showcase, well, we show it at the Dome. A lot of premieres happen there. It's a, it's a great spot for premieres uh, and just a, a great venue. Lon, I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, give us one Arclight memory. Oh, wow. There's so, I've seen so many. Uh, I, I was, I shared uh, the other day that the last movie I saw, there was a Thursday afternoon screening of Uncut Gems, which just gives Ooh. you a feeling for how I used the Arclight. It's just, it's my, for me, it's like a neighborhood theater. I'm like gonna, you know, yeah. swing by. But I, uh, the one that I told on, on, uh, on Twitter that I was talking about, my favorite thing about the Arclight was, it was both a regular neighborhood movie theater and it hosted a ton of like events and premieres and screenings. Yep. So a lot of the time you would go there and you're just hanging out waiting for your friend because you're going to go see, you know, Girls Trip at 315 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then there's like a red carpet that's just happening. So all the time you'd be hanging out waiting for your movie and just like Tom Berenger is right next to you answering questions about his new VOD release like while you're just – standing there waiting around to uh, to watch a movie. That was always a fun a fun aspect of the Arclight to me. My one other Arclight memory, they used to introduce the movie. So somebody would come down and be like, 
thanks for coming. Welcome to Arclight. You're about to watch. Uh, only one time did I go see a movie at Arclight where I was alone and I was the only person in the theater. Mm. Uh, it was Hearts in Atlantis. You remember that movie with Anthony Hopkins? It's yeah, based on a Stephen King book. Yeah. Uh, I'm the oh, literally just me. The Arclight person insisted on doing the entire opening spiel anyway and, like, made eye contact with me the whole time. Oh. It was very <laughs> weird and uh, always stuck with me. Oh, my God. That would haunt you. How about you? What's your beloved Arclight memory? Well, you mentioned uh, celebrity sightings and things. And, well, the last movie I saw there was Invisible Man in a matinee. Mm-hmm. And probably the two best celebrity sightings. There are many there. I saw Kanye West there. And I thought that was uh, really uh, interesting. I enjoyed seeing him. And then I went to see a screening of Jojo Rabbit a couple years ago. And who sits down right in front of me? Director Christopher Nolan and uh, one of his ah, kids. Ah, wearing a full suit, I'm sure. Oh, I mean, he was wearing a blazer at the very least. Yeah. He was wearing oh, a yeah. blazer at the very least. And a well-coiffed head of hair. Sure. Lon, we watched some stuff. We're going to talk about him when we come back. So what a tease, what a tease you are with that tantalizing, going to talk about stuff. Yes. Uh, Lon, we watched all HBO Max this week, HBO, HBO Max. And let's uh, start off with something that came out a couple weeks ago, Exterminate All the Brutes. Uh, It is a documentary from Raoul Peck, who also directed... Uh, I Am Not Your Negro, and many other narrative and documentary films. He did a movie called Young Karl Marx uh, a few years ago. Uh That is, it's about what it sounds like. It is a biopic of Young Karl Marx. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's great, and I had no idea it was the same guy that did I Am Not Your Negro. I just figured it out when I was watching this because he shows a brief clip of it in Exterminate All the Brutes. And I was like, oh, I've seen that. Oh, yeah. No, I, I know exactly uh, the clip you're talking about. And actually watching this, it's it's a tough watch. It's not an easy watch, but it's a, it's a thoughtful journey. And it, I mean, to say you're enjoying something like this is weird, but it, it's resonating. And I am. I, I don't I, think I, it's that it's that weird. It's, it's dark and it's about, you know, incredibly yes. stark, dramatic, and sometimes, you know, harrowing things. I mean, it's touching on colonialism, slavery, genocide, the Holocaust, all these. And it's evocative and unflinching. But it is, it's so, it's so thoughtful and interesting and compelling. And it is fun to watch. It's, it's in that same way that, you know, like an Errol Morris or a Ken Burns thing can be compelling. And there is a narrative through line that's interesting and it's fascinating, even as it's, yes, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to sort of wrap your mind around. It's certainly not pleasant topics. Absolutely. And uh, man, Josh Hartnett taking on some very hateable characters. So there's a lot of historical reenactments and scripted segments that he films to kind of highlight some of the points that he's making. Putting a humanity, a human face onto just some atrocities that we've only begun to unpack and hear about. And so anytime the story calls for any kind of white European, any kind of colonizer, slaver, you know, any, anybody in that sort of role... He just cast Josh Hartnett every time in that role. And it does force you to reflect on how many times you've seen Josh Hartnett or a guy like him in those roles, but we're viewing it from the opposite perspective. Like every white male actor has played like a Western hero or an American hero Mm -hmm. or like notable guys who are in these roles. But usually what we're watching is from their perspective. Yeah, Custer, John Wayne. Right. Uh, you, normally, you'd be watching if Josh Hartnett was playing a cowboy, it would be about Josh Hartnett, the cowboy. So it's stark and it forces you to consider that now, well, now we're watching it and he's this nemesis. He's always a dark, scary. You're always thinking about he's about to commit some act of horrific violence or brutality. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, it makes it even more stark because it's Josh Hartnett and we all immediately recognize him as a matinee idol. Yeah. And this, uh, and I, I think that is a fascinating uh, way to look at it. I, I appreciate how you framed it like that, Lon. And th- this tells the story, which, you know, uh, Columbus Day is um, being changed in many places to Indigenous Peoples Day. And why is stuff like this happening? Why are we unpacking this? I mean, it's because history is written by the winners. 
And these stories need to be told. This is history. And, you know, there's some unfortunate pills that people need to swallow that like um, (laughs) the flowers of American exceptionalism and capitalism and progress around the world are watered in fucking blood. And like the Crusades and the racism and just in behind like pure blood. He takes us into the thought process of like white European blood and then what has happened in the slave routes. And it's heavy stuff, but it's really important and it's super well told and thoughtfully told. Raoul Peck, he's just like, he's got a kind of a Werner Herzog effect, you know, of just like, I enjoy listening to him. But I will also say this, if this sounds too heavy and you're like, oh my God, if you want a lighter, fun version of this, for reals, John Leguizamo's Latin History for Morons. It's just, this is a lighter, fun uh, version of it is uh, a weird way to say it. But it's a, it's a comedy show from John Leguizamo, but that also tackles the serious business of colonialism and how thriving peoples or happy peoples were just devastated and murdered. Yeah, I mean, I think the key thing that we're doing now, because there's always been stories about, you know, like, well, here's the horrors of slavery depicted. You know, we got... Amistad or something, or like, mm-hmm. here's Schindler's List about, well, you know, the Holocaust and yeah, what's happening. trying to get that pure blood. Right. And we, always, and we always see these as kind of these individual stories. Like, mm-hmm. this is about the evils of American slavery, or this is about the Holocaust of World War II, or this is about uh, the Armenian Genocide, or the Haitian Revolution, or whatever, these disparate sort of events. Right. And I think that what Peck is doing, and, he, and it's based on... on Books like Sven Lindquist and yes. the, the Indigenous Peoples History yeah, of the United and, States. Yeah, and he cites the books during Howard uh, Zinn. And, and, and he's not doing this original research all himself. But great source material cited. And he's sort of recontextualizing it as a as one interconnected story. And, and, and I thought what was really helpful is uh, it's a direct counter to when I was studying history when I went to UCLA, there was a book by Jared Diamond called Guns, Germs, and Steel that was – very popular, widely read, like a bestseller, not just among academics. It was like everybody was reading mm-hmm. it. And it, it, he, he directly uses the phrase guns, germs, and steel in this movie to kind of counter that book. Because that, that book was like, here's why Europe was able to colonize and take over the entire world. And his thing is, well, they had more effective weapons, the guns. They brought all these diseases to the new world that people weren't prepared for that wiped out all these native populations, and that's the germ. And then the steel was like industrialization and ability. And, and it does talk about like steel weapons were so much more useful than the other kind that they were able to replicate in Africa or whatever. And so that's been the prevailing narrative, even for me. Like when I was studying history in that time, that's the story you learned. And it is, it, you, you'll notice even when I say it, it's still very Western-centric. It's, it's, it's Western exceptionalism. It's when we did these things better and that's why we were able to – and so this is a very purposeful attempt to 180 that whole thing and be like, no, no, no. It was the capacity for cruelty. It was the willingness to do this. Like mm-hmm. you could invent the steel, but that's not the important – who's to say the steel gets formed to do a gun? It's it's That's the important thing is that yeah. they had this worldview that enabled them to do this, whereas people around the rest of the world wouldn't have even occurred to them. Oh, to yes. To do this, you will have to treat – human beings like animals with extreme cruelty. Right. And And I think that's what's so interesting about looking at, we assume a lot of these concepts are as old as humanity, like racism, like, like, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea like like modern racism is like, well, that's always just, everybody's always been like that. And what are you going to do? That's how we are as animals. And I think that that's the sort of thing that this is saying, like, well, wait, that that's accepted axiomatically, but like, take another look at it. Like if we go back a thousand years, people didn't really have this conception of race like we do today. And it wasn't seen as Mm -hmm. scientific like it was in this later era where they were like, but look at this skull. We're allowed to abuse this population because their skulls aren't as formed as ours or they, you know, this, this is, you know, right. Eugenics and all that stuff. So I think it's, it's, it's retelling a lot of stories we've heard in a new way. And in some ways, absolutely like the story, the story of the Alamo. Right. And, and and that, I think, at some point is more vital than just being like, here's a horrible thing that happened. Because we've heard a lot of the horrible things that happened. Yes. I don't think anybody's going to hear about the Trail of Tears for the first time watching Hopefully. this. Hopefully. It's, 
it hopefully, but it's it's seeing it presented as one aspect of this much larger narrative is where I think this is very That's useful. A, a really great thing to point out on the fact that uh, tying this mindset together with all of these just epically horrific holocausts and exterminations and attempted genocides and dehumanizations that have happened across the world throughout history. So yeah, like that's so that's my counter. Like there is a bleakness to it because these are all horrible historical yes. things that happen. Yes. But it's it's taking the it's not recounting the horrors. It's it's the shift in perspective that's really what's so valuable, and, and I think, it's about so this. thoughtful. It's a I mean it's in uh, a journey, it's a personal journey from uh, Raoul Peck, but it's also the uh, a, a macro view of everything that happened as well. Yeah, uh, exterminate all the brutes. It's on HBO, HBO Max. Absolutely worth uh, checking out. Um, um, Brilliant, I mean, amazing um, stuff. One of the best uh, things yeah, I've watched I, in a while. I feel like um, it is uh, educating and entertaining, entertaining me. me. Uh, mm. Exterminate all the brutes. Coming up, we'll talk about another HBO Max show because it's all HBO Max all the time today on Binge Voice. Joss Whedon's Nevers. The Nevers or The Nevers? Um, it's The Nevers. So we watched uh, The Nevers. Lon, you seem to have a little bit of a visceral reaction there to it. What do you Oh, fuck all this. God, I fucking hated it. I hated every moment of watching this. <laughs> It uh, drove me friggin' crazy from the first minute. First of all, right. we just got to get this out of the way. Okay. You can set the X-Men a hundred years ago, and I'm still going to be like, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just the X-Men. It's, uh, we're at a school orphanage where a lady mm -hmm. who has, uh, oh, she's got what? What are they? The, the touched. They're not mutants. Yes. They're not mutants, no. folks. They're they're touched. I thought the exact same thing, but I want to ask you this. Isn't everything the X-Men nowadays? No, come on. Because there's, okay. Umbrella when they Academy. Set up, when they uh, set up, when they set up the orphanage for the touched and it's one lady Ms. with Perrine's. powers. And she's like, Miss look, there have been a lot of things that are X-Men expired, but, and, 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 and when they first set this up, I was like, okay, that's a little X-Men, but all right, um, you know what? I'm going to go with it. A lot of things are set at a magic school or mutant school or whatever. Yes. Could be like Hogwarts, whatever. It's when they introduce there's an evil group of touched and the fight is the main friendly group of touched. They just want equal rights. They just want people to see them as like the rest of humanity. But the evil ones, they think they were blessed by God and they should be in charge. And it's like, well, that's exactly the X-Men. Come on! That's just the Xavier-Magneto relationship you're redoing. Wait, but does the X-Men have evil government guys who come in and think that, oh, yeah, they totally do. <laughs> Yes, there's also, we've also got an evil senator, but even worse, there's even like, there's, wait, there's a dark underground occult club too? There's the Hellfire Club too? Because, you know, they've got the Joss tokens totally for the- wanted to make his um, Harry Potter meets the X-Men. It's such a shameless, I mean, this isn't even my only problem with the show, but it's shameless. It's really shameless. He should be a little embarrassed about a lot of things, about several but particularly things. about ripping off the X-Men. So, like, insipidly. Under, underneath uh, sexually harassing people and um, treating Ray Fisher like a, like, real shitty. Yeah, right. I mean, he's got a lot. Listen, I wouldn't want to even give this show the time of day if he was still part of it. Joss Whedon left this show. It's being run. The showrunner is a woman now. You can support the Nevers without supporting Joss Whedon. Personally, um, I just, man, this really has all of his. Listen, I'll still say, like, I think Buffy is great. I think his work on the first Avengers is very good. I'm not saying everything Joss Whedon's ever touched is bad. But this has every, like, negative thing I don't like about his work, like all mashed into one, like it's super forced and quippy and not in like a clever way and like a sitcom-y kind of dopey way. Right. Um, it's just, it's so jam full of just like pointless, silly world building that it's like getting so ahead of itself and try to set up every mm -hmm. aspect of this dumb world before it even makes us care about it. Yeah. It's just, man, I, I just, it's so cutesy and twee and it's just, Ugh. Yeah, it's very steampunk, and it's a little bit twee 
as well. But there were a few aspects that I liked. I mean, I liked the, uh, the, uh, the protagonists, the two women that run the orphanage. I thought they were compelling um, and likable characters. And there were a couple of good fights. Uh, I, I like the action sequence where there was this chase through London and like there was some real scary looking um, bad guy that reminded me of kind of like, I don't know, sort of like a ring wraiths kind of uh, feel to these. They got bags over their heads, but with cut out holes yeah, for their like eyes scarecrow, and mouth. Yeah. Scarecrow from uh, Dark Knight meets like ring wraiths. Like those guys looked really cool. And when um, when they were fighting them, when when our protagonists were fighting these guys, that was a fun sequence. And they came in and like saved this girl. And I thought like, oh, I, I'm really just uh, enjoying this whole action sequence. But Alon is, I, I think you're absolutely right. And as far as it just jammed so much in there to the point where it's like, oh, what am I supposed to care about? And then tonally, like there were a couple of moments where it's like, oh, yes, you are like literally borrowing, stealing, um, homaging something uh, that is so clear, but a departure from what you just set up. So yeah, uneven. Like really, why is there a sex club in it? Like what is his thing? Like it's so, in the same way that we went back and did the the Firefly Honest trailer recently. So I went and rewatched that whole show, which is only one season. And it really right. struck me going back that the space brothel, like every episode, you've got to get really in depth about how the intergalactic brothel prostitute system worked. <laughs> and he gets so hung up on all that stuff. And you rewatch it, you're like, he's got a weird thing about this. <laughs> and like, it's always this fight. Like Mal is constantly making like horror jokes at her. And she's like, don't call me that, whatever. It's like such a thing. And then I'm watching this one, and all of a sudden they introduce, like, oh, you want to join my orgy club? And the other guy's like, I don't want to join your orgy club. Like, oh, you must come and take part in my orgy club. And it's like, this show needed an orgy club, Joss? Really? Really? I think you might be right in as much as Joss Whedon might be a little too concerned with fantastical brothels and space, space brothels. But in his defense, when I think, how come the 30 seconds of screen time that the three-breasted prostitute in Total Recall had is etched in my mind forever. Well, yeah, she obviously deserved a spinoff of her own. I think we can all agree there that okay, three-boob, yeah, three-boob Total Recall escort should have her own, she should get a filled-in backstory. I'm just, it's like, why is it Ex-workers only? in space. <laughs> It's just, it's always, it's Joss, he's got that, it's that thing where it's, it's always got to be, these women are very powerful. Like they're, they're not weak, you know, they're always like good fighters and can take care of themselves and yes. very strong and, and, but they're also like, they can't communicate. They're locked into a world of their own. They're like helpless and they need men around to like, it's always that. It's that balance of powerful, but helpless. And Luke Bassan has this weird thing too, where it's always like mm, La Femme well, Nikita. Like yeah. she's a badass assassin, but she's also like my prisoner and she's a slave. And like, it's like both of those at once. And it's like, they're clearly like getting off on some aspect of it. And it's just like, weird and creepy after a while. I don't know if the profession, does the professional completely hold up? I mean, like, it's got, it's is cool, it, but like, yeah. it definitely has this yeah, thing Yeah, Jean Reno and Gary like, Oldman are awesome, but it's like. But it's the same thing, like, she's deadly and she's scary and she can take care of herself, but she's also like a teenager who's being like manipulated and controlled by this middle-aged man. Like, it's always yeah. that. It's always, always that. And it's like, again, we've got this world where it's these incredibly powerful superhero women, but they're still being like weirdly dominated and controlled. And they're, they're you know, like they're in the dollhouse. We're back to dollhouse. It's always the same with Joss Whedon. I don't yeah, get if, I mean, if you're a fan of the genre, uh, there's uh, some interesting Ugh. stuff. If you're like, if you Ugh. love steampunk cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just yeah like a fantasy steampunk alternate reality show like sure i'm I'm in but it i could tell i was it wasn't gonna work for me because every new like attempt to expand the world or yeah. the mythology it was just like ugh, more of this to keep straight now like all right like i just there was it got no enthusiasm for me to learn more about this dumb yeah, world and it does seem like a combination of things that we've already seen uh, good performances, a couple, and some good action in there. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I agree that it's a real mixed bag. I, I liked it a little more than a lot. Miss me with this one. Uh, <laughs> the Nevers, 
HBO Max. It's around there if you want to check it out. And one more HBO Max show, Made for Love. Made for Love, HBO Max. Uh, Kristen Milotti reprising her, I guess, her, what she does, being on the run or trying to figure shit out in a weird uh, dystopic sci-fi situation. Oh, you right? mean Palm Springs? Well, I mean, sort uh, Palm of. Palm Springs. Oh, and there's... Uh, I mean, they both have... They're both like comedy, dark comedy with a sci-fi twist. Uh, what, what did you think of Made for Love? I liked it. It took a while. It took... Mm-hmm. The, the first episode, I was like, Ugh. And like, it's, it's, it's both darker and sillier than I was expecting. And I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure that combo always works. It's like, I feel like 70% of the time it really hits and it, it lands this weird balance it's trying for. It's, it's very dark on one, on one level. It is this really creepy story about this woman who basically falls in love with like a tech genius, uh, who then essentially like keeps her captive for 10 years as his wife inside his compound and never allows her to leave. And finally she escapes, but she's been essentially like microchipped. Like he, he has a GPS installed in her brain and he can like see through her eyes and track her wherever she goes. And so it's, it's a thriller on one level where she's like desperate to get away from this creep, this like lunatic creep who's played by Billy Magnuson in a, you know, very effective. He's like very effectively creepy. But on the other level, it's like a sitcom where it's this woman who hasn't seen her dad in 10 years and she moves back in with her dad and it's Ray Romano playing the dad. And he's, he's in a relationship with this sex doll that he treats as his wife. Um, And so like, they know that – I'm not saying this is a criticism. Like, they know that's what they're trying to land. Like, that's the weird balance that defines the whole show. And I feel like it works sometimes. Like, there yeah. were definitely times where I thought it was really funny and I got into it. And I'm like, I'm going to watch season one. Like, I want to know what happens to these people. But I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it maybe is a little too creepy to find funny. Like, it just overdoes it on one level and I kept trouble getting back to, to – Home yeah, base. Ex- exactly. I mean, I, I like this uh, dystopic take on technology and that it's like leading us down the primrose path for destruction, perhaps. But oh, oh the one other uh, dystopic, uh, I, I've used that word officially too much now. I'm going to stop saying dystopic. Well, it's dystopian, uh, isn't it? Yes. Oh, but is dystopic a word? I feel like it would be I feel like it would be dystopic, but I also feel like no, the word What's, is dystopian. Now I have to look up dystopian, dystopic, and uh, well, all right, let's let's keep let's keep the podcast. I'm 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 <laughs> is dystopic a word? Dystopian? All right, you know what? I don't I don't think out. it is. But yeah. uh, oh, speaking of uh, her being and uh, these different uh, sci-fi esque things, Palm Springs, and she was also in the Black Mirror episode, USS Callister. Right. Yes, along with Billy Madison. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, like, I didn't l- think the that Ray Romano surprise was that funny, and I feel it's kind of like an albatross around the neck of this thing. I'm like, I don't know. It, that seemed just so gimmicky to me that he had that. And then I hopefully will get more. Uh, like you said, there's too much world building in the Nevers. I think this is suffering from not enough world building. Like I get it that he's one of these tech guys, like an Elon Musk or whatever. You know what I'd want? I'd like to see a crossover show between this and devs. Like, well, it is, I was just about to bring up Dan Backdahl, the guy who plays the enforcer yes. is, is in both shows, right? Isn't he the guy? Oh, from no, uh, devs. Oh no. Um, he's, is he not? I, I may have just gotten that mixed up. Is Nick Offerman. I'll look it up. No, no, Nick Offerman's the CEO, but who's his enforcer? Yeah. Oh no, it's it's a different it is a different guy. It's a guy named yeah. Zach Grenier. Oh yeah. Uh anyway, but it's it's a similar it's a similar role where they both they're they're these tech moguls and they've got their like enforcer guys who go out and like they're cleaner, they're fixers, yeah. you know, like who go out and take care of but he, Dan Backdahl, the actor who's playing the enforcer in uh Made for Love. He's like the highlight of the show. Like he's hilarious and his scenes are where I feel like the like his confrontations with Christian Milioti is where this comes to life. Like that's where the rubber hits the road and I feel like the it, it, it finally works. Like the 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 Billy Magnuson character I feel like is too 
it's almost too sinister. Yeah. And like we can't you can't ever connect to like how are these two ever together? How could she have ever thought this would be the guy for her? And I feel like if he was a little bit if he if you could appreciate them being together a little bit more, it might be more effective that he's taken this incredibly oh, dark absolutely. turn. Absolutely. I don't I don't buy that. I don't buy that. And then the <clears throat> this idea of like melding like two minds together is so weird and like unearned. So it's just kind of like you have to dive in. It's like, here's the premise and it's take it or leave it. And I'm like, I'm hedging a little bit. Uh, and yeah, I agree with you on uh, Billy Magnuson. He's like so unlikable. He's like Scott Disick meets Army Hammer. And they, they've like, made him, yeah, they've made him crazy. And I think even, De- I mean, Devs is an interesting point to come back to because it's also a drama about a guy like CEO running a weird right. tech company who's like a hermit and got a lot of weird stuff going on. But Nick Offerman, I feel like, played that character in a way that he was crazy and weird and were like red flags the moment you meet him. But he also has a charisma Mm -hmm. and you could get how people would be seduced into this worldview of like, oh, this guy's working on another level. Like, I want to hear more of what he's got to say. I don't know if Billy Magnuson has that. He seems more like a lunatic. uh, I want to make this a Devs conversation now. Devs ultimately disappointed me a little bit, but I still enjoyed the high points of Devs. I enjoyed way more than the high points of this show. So I'm going to say... Well, it's very different. It's oh, very, very different. different. Devs is straight up is like uh, is a, is is serious. Yeah, Devs is much more like mindfuck drama, and this is more like Absolutely. satirical. Devs feels like ex machina. This feels like uh, 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 um, it honestly feels a little bit like that Black Mirror episode. Like it's using the sci fi premise. Well, it's using the sci fi premise to look at to like sort of interrogate relationships and men and women and gender dynamics and all of a that little kind bit, of stuff. But like the more, one of the more on the nose Black Mirror episodes, I would say. Right. Yeah, a, a, a little bit. And I, I mean, I, I really just think to me, it's, it's just, it, it, I, I feel like they needed to figure out how to like round some of these edges. Yeah. Like if you make me, if you make me relate to these people in their world a little better, I think that it would have more meaning what happens to them. Whereas it's just kind of happening in this crazy alternate reality that I feel like a lot of the time I don't necessarily get who everyone is and what their Mom, take is. I might have to add Kristen Milioti to the list of people who are getting pigeonholed in a type of thing that I don't want to watch anymore. Giancarlo Esposito as a villain Finn Wolfhard um, just uh, wringing out every piece of 80s nostalgia in a kid's thing that he can. And well, now that's not his it, fault. That's what it they is their fault. No, that's, that, that, um, that's all they're offering Finn Wolfhard. Finn, Finn Wolfhard's not getting offered, you know, like rom-coms. Like that's what he's getting offered. No, but play a modern kid. Play a modern kid. That's, he's, that's not up to him. He's, 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 getting, he's doing things. the best scripts it, that he gets Ghostbusters. Sent. Yeah. Those are the, the hottest scripts he gets sent. Yes, but it's the same kid doing the same thing. I am sick of it. I think you've you've got way too you're putting way too much of the onus on him. Like, what's he going to do? Write and direct his own thing? Give him a few years. He's a friggin' kid. Oh, maybe. I listen, Lon. Part of it is I'm mad at him. Part of it is listen. I've just chosen this hill to die on. And, yeah, Caleb uh, McLaughlin, the other Stranger Kids things kid. He's in uh, Concrete Cowboy with Idris Elba. Uh, you know what? I think Finn Wolfhard is the mastermind of nostalgia money grabs. <laughs> anyway, thing. made for love. It's uh, it, it's uh, definitely got some fun moments. I'm uh, yeah. I'm engaged enough to like. I'm gonna finish season one. Like that's the best thing I could say for. And you. I say check out Devs on FX Hulu. Lon, we've talked about all the stuff. And have. yeah, I'm exhausted. Let's call it a day. I'm going to uh, bed. Hoot, hoot, hashtag Owl Nation. Thank you, Starburns, uh, for having us. Adam Macias, the great super producer who uh, leads the way in a in a dark, weird world. Thank you for producing our show. Jason K, uh, thank you for rocking us uh, into the fucking stratosphere at the top of the show. Lon, tell folks where they can find you. 
Uh, find me on Twitter at L O N S. That's the best place to keep up with everything I'm doing. And I also make a lot of jokes. Uh, and then you can also, uh, read my thoughts on streaming TV five days a week inside.com slash streaming. It's totally free. It's every day. Although it may take a day off over the next few days because I have to call in about jury duty. Oh, good luck. Uh, you know what? So tomorrow may no, may not be an inside streaming if I've got to go, uh, let some people out of prison. Because that's what I'm going to do. I hope you get a nice, a nice juicy case there, Lon. Got to go free some murderers. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, you know what? If you can single-handedly take down um, the prison industrial complex, I salute yeah, you. Yeah, that's my plan. That's my plan. Uh, please come uh, check out my social medias, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. Thanks for listening. And if you feel like it, go to iTunes and give us a, a nice, a juicy five stars. Yum. We'll talk to <laughs> you next time. Even if you're Italian and you're terribly offended by that, please still give us five stars. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.